Welcome back to Crossing Jordan, everybody. I pray that you're doing great. Today, we're continuing our series on the topic of salvation. The young man asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And so today is actually, we're going to summarize what we're going to be going into detail uh, over the next few weeks, talking about the topic of salvation. Um, The last three episodes, we're talking about the gospel. We talked about what God was doing on a cross and the right order and right uh, relationship that is summarizing the whole Christian faith, that we would be in right union with him. And we'll summarize that here in a second. But um, going forward, we're going to be talking about the topic of salvation. And these next few episodes, we're going to be talking about grace, faith, expressing ourselves in love. How? What must we do to be saved, right, to answer that question? And Jesus did answer that question. And even after these next few episodes talking about grace, faith, and love, and all of those things that what we must do to be saved, we're going to go to even more into all the different topics that salvation hits on, you know, such as purgatory. Um, we're going to be going into a lot of different different things. So it's going to be a long series of salvation, but these next few are going to be specifically around the topic of, you know, salvation, of the uh, what we must do to be saved. So the, la- the last three episodes, we talked about the gospel. God created you out of love. Our relationship with him was broken through disobedience and sin. Jesus came to die for you, to, to give you his own life, to live life fully, to have a true, fulfilled life. We repent, believe, and we're baptized, and we get to walk in the same spirit that Jesus walked in. We go and make disciples of all nations to bring them into Christ's body, his kingdom, his bridegroom, the Catholic Church that he founded and is the fullness of truth and is the sacrament of salvation. And what was God doing on the cross? God came to fight for you, to seek you, to find you, to restore you, redeem you, purchase you, save you, forgive you, atone for you, to break the bonds, break the lies, to forgive you, to undo the works of the devil that tempt us into sin. And then after we sin, accuses us and says, you you've gone too far. God can't forgive you. Jesus came to destroy all of that and to give us full life. And Jesus came also to put everything in right order and right relationship. God with man, man with man, and all of creation in harmony in the one person of Jesus Christ. And we get to walk in that to, to renew the world around us when we walk in Jesus. And then uh, in our own lives to defeat sin, to share his heart, and desires to cleanse and purify our hearts and desires so that we're no longer walking of the flesh but walking of the spirit to share in God's desires, God's heart, which is fulfilled and perfected in love because God is love and when we abide in love, we know we are abiding in God. So today, this is, I really wanted today's uh, episode to be uh, very, uh, just a summary because we're going to go into each of these different parts in the next few weeks. Um, We're going to have one episode on grace. We're going to have one episode on faith. We're going to have one episode on expressing, uh, you know, what our our faith being expressed in love and then what um, the final judgment. Um, So we're going to be talking about all those, but I actually wanted, uh, I was going to do like very little on this episode, but I'll give you a little taste of each, right? So what must we do to be saved? Repent. Metanoia means to turn away, to change your mind. It's a renewal of the mind. That was the very first thing that Jesus uh, that Jesus preached when he began his public ministry. Repent and to believe in the gospel. Repent is to change your mind, have an entire, completely different way of thinking, um, and to believe in the gospel. To believe, to to fully have your life completely consumed by that gospel. 
um, and to be filled with the Spirit and to walk according to the Spirit and not of the flesh. To repent, believe, be baptized, repent, believe, and go to confession <laughs> if we keep falling, right? So, um, grace. Let's talk about grace really quick. It is the unmerited gift of God. Everything is pure grace. Everything is pure grace. Anything that is good comes from above, as James 1.17 says. So, we can do nothing to earn God's love. And we don't need to work our way to God. That's actually a heresy dealt by the very beginning of the early church. Um, that's called Pelagianism. And the Catholic Church does not teach that, has never taught that. And um, actually, before we even get into it, but the expression faith and works is actually nowhere in church documents. This became like a popular phrase because in the Protestant Revolution, they were, uh, you know, Protestants were emphasizing faith alone, faith alone. Well, then it became like this this battle and like faith and faith and faith alone versus faith and works but actually faith and works is not church language at all you can find it nowhere in church documents so for us catholics we need to get away from using the expression of faith and works and this will be uh, clear as we continue so grace the unmerited gift of god it's god his initiation he is the always he is always the one that precedes everything in our lives John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. 1 John 4.14, The Father sent his Son as the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, We love because he loved us first. He first loved us. And then you just like look at all the parables of Jesus. It, you know, He talks about being the steward of the feast, the good shepherd, the one who searches for the lost sheep, the lost coin. It's God who is always seeking. God, his love, his goodness, his grace is always preceding everything. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from, apart from me, you can do nothing. And no one has salvation outside of the grace of Jesus. And then Philippians 4, 13, and in Christ, all things are possible. So outside of Christ, nothing is possible. In Christ, all things are possible. And as we said earlier, James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So it's Jesus, it's his grace. It is Grace is everything. It's, uh, it's all pure grace. Um, from the very beginning, in the middle, and in the end. Through him, with him, and in him. It is always grace. It is the, it is the unmerited gift of God. It's his grace. It's his doings that are working in us and through us because he loves us that much. It even says somewhere that God will crown his own gifts at the end of our lives, right? It's always, it's always him, um, the goodness working through us. And then grace and faith. The Greek word for faith actually means intellectual consent and to base one's life on all of it, a.k.a. trust, faith-seeking understanding. So a faith is not intellectual consent alone, because, and we'll see that when we talk, go into that whole topic of faith, but it is actually moving in that belief, to base your entire life on that belief, to not be, you know, to not be hot and cold, as Jesus says, to not be a living a double life, to not be serving God and mammon, to be working um, purely for the sake of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it is all grace that we have been saved. And, and through that faith that we receive, uh, we walk into that grace that 
God did, not our own doing. You can never work to earn God your own salvation. You can never work to be saved. Nothing you can do can make atonement for the eternal gap that is in between a finite creature as little as us where we're fallen and broken versus the all holy, 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 perfect God of all eternity. And the only person to ever make that up is Jesus, the God-man. Fully God, fully human is the only one who can reconcile the two parties. So it is all him. But guess what? When we're in Jesus, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus says that he that we will even do greater works than he does because in Jesus, all things are possible. In Jesus, we abide in his presence through the sacraments and through love and through the Holy Spirit and through the, the, through the scripture. We abide in his presence. We, we renew our minds. We put on the full person of Jesus Christ and we walk in those good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says. And when you go into John uh, 13 through 17, uh, really John 13 through 16, where Jesus is talking directly to his apostles, John 15 says we should bear much fruit when we abide in him. We abide in Christ and we love one another. This is not a new commandment. You have heard it from the beginning, but love, 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 love. And Christ uh, elevates it even more. Love like I do, which means to lay down your life for one's friends because no greater love is than this, right? So we should bear much fruit and to love one another as as we abide in Christ. And that is that faith being expressed. And that's all grace. It's still all grace. And then faith that's expressed in love. So your faith, yeah, you, you trust it, you believe it. But that faith, because you trust and believe it, explicitly exactly because you believe it and profess it you express it you express that faith you express that saving love that grace that is dwelling within us in its expression of the inner act of the inner disposition as galatians 5 6 says when so galatians 5 6 he's writing to a community who's still arguing over the topic that's already been dogmatically defined by the first council where peter infallibly declared that you do not have to be Uh, Jewish in order to become Christian as in Acts 15 shows. The debate has already been settled by the church that you do not have to be Jewish in order to become Christian. You do not have to receive circumcision in order to be a Christian. And that's what Peter or uh, St. Paul in Galatians to the church in Galatia is writing about. And he says in Galatians 5, 6, that circumcision nor circumcision avails of anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. It's that inner... disposition, faith being expressed through love. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, for it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that as long as I walk in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has given himself up for me. It's Christ's work. I have been crucified. It's Christ's work. It's Christ is living in us. It's that, but we have to willingly participate in that to express that faith and love. 1 Corinthians 7.19 says, talks about keeping the commandments of God. 1 John 2, 3 says, we know God if we keep his commandments. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says. It's it's a faith that actively engages the will, your understanding, everything about your life. It's your free will attached to that faith being expressed in love. Um, when St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about this, the incredible spiritual gifts, yes, Jesus, we want more. The incredible spiritual gifts, healing, prophecy, all of those things. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says, But if you have no love, 
then you are it's it's nothing all those spiritual gifts are nothing if you do not love and later on saint paul in that same chapter in verse 13 of first corinthians 13 he says faith hope love abide these three but the greatest of these is love faith hope and love are the three theological virtues you need faith you need hope you need love faith being simply i trust i trust in god's promises i trust in what he's doing i trust in what he's done i trust in what he's going to do hope is my living hope in jesus jesus is my hope and i know that all things work for the good of those who love him my hope is that no, no, no matter what happens in the future my faith will not be wavered it's my faith it's my trust being expressed onto the future and then love love abide these three but the greatest of these is love why does saint paul say that because Think about once you get to once once you get to heaven, you no longer need faith because you're seeing him yourself. You no not no longer need hope because you're obtaining what you've been hoping. But what is eternal? Love. And that's what God is calling us to, to participate in the divine nature of God, which is love. God is love, and He's calling us to love as He does, <clears throat> to lay down our lives for another and for and for God. Our love abides. And so when we participate in that love now, we're participating in the very eternal attribute of what we're going to be doing for all eternity. God willing, that when we go, when we make it to heaven, we get to worship God for all eternity with all the angels and saints. And, and so it's love that is the greatest. Faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It's that faith being expressed in love. First John 4, we know God abides in us if, if we love. When we don't love the brother that we can see, how can we love the God that we cannot see? So it's always going back to God's grace through faith being expressed in love. Um, and we'll talk about this, at a, uh, we're going to talk about all this in more detail in the later episodes, but when you get into the book of James, James is talking to a Jewish Christian community. And so when he says faith apart from works is dead and all these things, he's not talking about the initial act of salvation when you come and it's purely the grace of God in, in baptism, him seeking us and him giving us his own divine life, which is love abiding in the soul. And But he's talking about participating continuing to express your faith he's he says you some say you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from your works and i by my works will show you my faith and then he talks about how uh even the demons believe in god they believe that god is one and they still shudder so it's not just a belief it is an expression it's ex our our faith is everything our faith is an, is expressed through love it's not merely an intellectual consent and that's where faith alone starts getting really bad because that is uh, just contrary to what the New Testament says and that's contrary to what the lips of Jesus said himself, the one who's going to be judge us. Um, and then when you go to the book of Hebrews, the, the author goes through all of these Old Testament figures, Noah, Abraham, all of these uh, Old Testament heroes. And, he's, and then he expresses, you know, that faith of Abraham and and you see in the lives of all these people, you think of uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and all of these people in the Old Testament. And he's uh, and the author is talking about their faith. It's their faith, right? Their faith was expressed in an act of trust. Abraham wouldn't have received the promises if he didn't act and go to go to Ur as God told him to. Noah. His whole family would have died if he was just like, yeah, I believe, God, that I'm supposed to make a boat, but I'm not going to. No, he had to do something. Moses, he had to do something. His faith was expressed, right? You have, it's that, that trust. Your whole life is revolving around that trust. 
and also uh, throughout the letters, specifically in the, the writings of James, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, the authors, James, St. Paul, and the inspired uh, author of Hebrews, talk about the faith of Abraham. But you'll see that each time that they, they say um, that it was his faith that was accounted to him as righteous, each one is talking about different points in the life of Abraham. It's not once saved, always saved, but his faith was continuing to be expressed through his, uh, through his trust, his, his expression of his love of God. Jesus in the Gospels says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has done these things. But there's probably so many people that wanted to be healed, but they didn't do anything about it. Yeah, I believe that Jesus would heal me, but if he truly loved me, he would come to me. But each person, their faith was expressed. I believe, God, that if I touch your tassel, Jesus, you're going to heal me. Heal me. But she doesn't stand back. She goes and touches. I believe, Jesus, that you can heal my friend. But there's so many people, so I'm going to bring my friend to you through the roof. They were all all expressed. Their faiths were expressed. People, so many people probably believed in Jesus, but didn't do anything about it. And that, those weren't the people that says that Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you because your faith was expressed towards that belief. And then lastly, talking about the willingly and actively participating with the grace that is in us. The final judgment will be on how we steward the gifts of God, how we acted in love. We are going to be judged on love. And so um, when we actively participate we become like Jesus. We become like our teacher. Disciple means learner. We become like our, our teacher. To put on the mind of Christ, to renew our minds, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Read all of Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It's this life in the spirit and not satisfying the desires of the flesh, which brings all the sins and brokenness that cut off our, our life of grace with God. <clears throat> Jesus calls us to carry our cross, to die to self, to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel where we find true life to serve the poor and the marginalized, forgive all those who hurt us, to persevere, endure until the end. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 13, he who endures to the end will be saved when he's talking about intense persecution. John 14, 12, he who believes in Jesus will do greater works. Jesus says, he who believes in me will do greater works than I do. Matthew, so it's always grace, you see, it's always grace even in these works. Matthew 7, 21, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And that's coming from Christ himself. Uh, and there's other parts of the Bible, even the Old Testament, that's a works-based mentality. They said, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, St. Paul says something similar in Romans, that those who believe in their heart and confess with their lips will be saved. But then Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, but they're not contradictory. One is just, one, uh, one is saying, that who confesses, who, who believes, who, who uh, believes in their heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead will be saved. But he's not, uh, he's not excluding the fact that that belief is expressed. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And these people, obviously, who are calling him Lord, Lord at the end of their lives, know Jesus. They think they know Jesus. They, they think they love Jesus. They live the life that, yeah, I believe. But Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Romans 2, 6, St. Paul says, God will render to every man according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are factious and do not obey 
the truth, but obey wickedness. There will be wrath and fury. So it gets really dangerous when it says, once saved, always saved. It, you, you know, like you said the sinner's prayer, and after that, you're good to go. You can do whatever you want. And the New Testament directly contradicts that in other places as well, not just here in Romans 2.6. In Galatians 6, 7 through 9, St. Paul says, Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And these are the two letters of St. Paul that uh, a lot of... um, the faith alone comes from because throughout there, there St. Paul and Romans and Galatians is talking about that faith apart from works. In each case, he's talking to a community. Well, Romans is a whole mixed community, so he's talking to Gentile and to Jewish people. Galatians are these uh, people the, that are being, you know, um, uh, kind of swarmed by these like Judaizers saying that you need to become uh, Jewish before you can become Christian. You need to be, receive circumcision in order to do that. So when he says the works of the law, he's literally saying the works of the Jewish, the Moses law, which St. Peter already dogmatically defined in Acts, uh, Acts 15, that you do not need to receive circumcision. So they're dealing, so St. Paul's dealing with this. And what's the, the one thing in Jesus that a Gentile and a Jewish person would be able to understand? Faith. You believe in Christ, faith in Christ, apart from works of the law, like your circumcision means nothing. Galatians 5, 5, 6, uh, uh, St. Paul says, for circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. So in these letters, uh, a lot of times what people say, well, I just need faith alone. I don't need to do anything. That's contrary to what they're saying in the letters themselves, and it's contrary to Jesus, it's contrary to the whole New Testament, it's whole, contrary to the whole biblical revelation. Um, and that, that was so that was Romans 2, 6, and Galatians 6, 7 through 9. To continue in well-doing, to sow into the Spirit, to reap up eternal life, and to not uh, go against um, the Spirit, which is going with the desires of the flesh, to obey wickedness. So it's a, a, it's a faith that's obedient, St. Paul says in Romans 2, 6 that uh, those who um, were factious and did not obey the truth, obey wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. And then you look at Jesus himself. So this is the, Jesus is the master. He is the test grader. He is the one who is going to be judging the living and the dead, right? And he gives us the answers themselves. In Matthew 24, it's the parable of the unfaithful servant. And this, un- this servant is given many responsibilities, but his master is delayed and he begins to abuse, drink, and be merry. The master returns and guess what? He gets condemned. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus goes into the wise and the foolish maidens, those who had oil, that relationship with God, and others who, who didn't get oil, right? And then they go knock on the door, like, Lord, please, please enter. And the door was locked. Then he talks about the parable of the talents. Those who are faithful and good stewards enter into their master's joy. My Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and receive your master's joy. And then those who received the talents, they received gifts. They received all of these things by grace. They were given all of these gifts, but they didn't do anything with them because they were afraid or lazy or they tucked their, their money away, right? They were condemned. And Jesus it, condemns them. 
So, and he talks about those parables and the, and the talents and uh, the treasury and all those things where these people were given gifts. And then some would go and get more gifts, put it in a bank to earn interest, he says, even do that. But the ones who hid it away or abused it or didn't do anything with it, those were the ones that were condemned. And then the clearest one yet, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the judgment of the nations when the Son of Man comes on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll have the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then he'll say to the ones on his right, the sheep, come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty, gave me drink, stranger, you welcomed me, naked, you clothed me, in prison, you visited me. And they say, when did we see you all these things? And Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Jesus lives in the poor for us. And then all those people on the left who know Jesus, they come to him and they said, when did we see you, Lord, on all these things? But they didn't give him food when he was hungry. They didn't give him a drink when he was thirsty. He didn't. They didn't welcome him uh, when he was a stranger. They didn't clothe him when he was naked. They didn't visit him when he was in prison. And that is the determining factor of if you're going to be entering into your master's joy and entering, in, entering into the kingdom prepared for us or not, is was your faith expressed in love? Did you love? Did you give food? Did you give your drink? Did you welcome? Did you clothe? Did you visit? All of those things are going to be, and man, I need, I need to do a lot more of this, <laughs> but uh, this is the final answer from the test grader himself, Jesus, the master. He's telling us those who did all those things will inherit eternal life and then those other ones will inherit eternal punishment, he says at the end of Matthew 25. So again, we need to have our faith expressed in love and see Jesus and to serve him and all of our brothers and sisters to truly love authentically. And then in the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to write to these seven churches. And in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, when he's writing to these churches, guess what he's writing to them about? (laughs) Their works. He says, repent and go back to the good works that you did before. And then they were being judged according to their works. You're neither hot nor cold. I'll spew you out of my mouth, Jesus says, when you're lukewarm. To make a decision, to have your life centered on it, to go back to true love, go back to the good works that you did before. So it's this active uh, will, your, your free will that you have been given to choose, to choose to work with the grace that is working inside of you, to do the works of Christ what he came to do, what has been prepared for us, that we are his handiworks, we are his co-laborers with Christ. It's him. It's his grace that goes through it, but he wants to, he's calling us to participate in it. And uh, so Jesus is telling us that we need to love all the way until the end, and that's how we're going to be judged. That's how we're going to uh, um, make it to heaven or not. So in summary, by grace, you have been saved through faith, being expressed in love, And that's how we're going to be judged at the end. We have three missions as a church. One is to worship. Worship comes from from worth-ship to worship God. He deserves everything to adore him, to give him that latria worship. And then two, evangelize and teach to make disciples of all nations. That was not just an option. Jesus tells tells us 
to evangelize, to make disciples of all nations, to heal, heal the sick, comfort the mourning, all of those things. And then three, to serve the poor, like Matthew 25 says, to serve the poor. So our threefold mission as a church is to worship God, evangelize and teach, and to serve the poor. And so, as we said before, it is all grace. God will crown his own gifts at the end of our lives, but he's calling us to willingly participate it, that our faith would be, would be expressed in love. And I can't wait to pick up the topic of, of grace even more in next week's episode. God bless you.